Hello, and welcome to the ArborPod Detective Dendro series. Today's guest is Guy Mayer in the case of the ionized Eiffel. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. Walnuts by Pityotherus juglandus and Geosmithia morbidia. Oaks by Pseudopityotherus minutissimus and Ceratocystis phagocerium. Dominant trees across the land are being dominated by insects and the insidious diseases they vector. What in the ecosystem is out of balance? Lack of predation on the insects, perhaps? Bats were dying by the millions from a fungal disease in caves. A grant was funded to identify, manage, and monitor suitable trees for alternative chiropteran handwing habitat. Coded and I were working our way across cave country, expanding arboreal habitat for flying mammals. Standing dead snags and hollows in living trees were stabilized by bracing and reduction pruning. Plates of bark became big bat barns, bequeathing births for beneficial beings. One cave manager asked us about the trees around her home above the cave. So, one dry, cold spring morning, we found our way there. Good morning, Detective. My name is Rebecca Radix. She pulled off her wool hat and greeted us in the driveway. Individual strands of hair stood out, framing her face in a semi-halo. Even before her hands touched, I got a static shock. Her strands descended as she apologized. Sorry, I do appreciate your work for our furry friends. Farmers and foresters nearby also enjoy insectivorous associates. I'd like to build bat houses in my big oaks, but one looked so bad that I had to cut it down last fall. Her toes curled with tension as she nudged a mustard-colored leaf at her feet. First, let's look at your primary woody assets, I started, pulling my eyes back up to the trees. Code it, you're the cedar specialist. Check out that red cedar across the yard. Its deep green glow stands out in this drought-ravaged region. My assistant, diagnostic kit in hand, trotted across the yard. One less distraction from the primary problem. One former oak was a stump with no decay evident. A second oak was pale green, and a third was yellow in places. I pulled down a lower branch and examined the anemic-looking foliage with my Tenex hand lens. The magnification took me through the cuticle, through the epidermis, and into the mesophyll. With my thumb on the tough upper surface, my index finger pushed against the slightly softer layer on the bottom. Later in the growing season, these leaves will look much worse. You really get into the trees, don't you? Rebecca approached, hazel eyes flecked with the colors of canary and goldfinch and the arboreal bat called Lazarus borealis. Her voice flowed like water in a brook. I get really hot every summer, after the leaves fall off. Looking is like liquor. It goes to my head. I started babbling like that imaginary brook as she drew nearer and grasped the leaf next to mine. I know what you mean. She quickly looked me up and down, then smiled with just a hint of shyness. What exactly is it that we are feeling for? Feeling more comfortable in tree territory, my glance was quick as a blink. Tactile data can be robust. I tackled the topic tritely. Touch trees is an arborist motto, but touching may not be enough. Squeezing trees can yield more compelling conclusions. Her eyes flickered and held mine, pulling us closer in time. The space between us shrank to nothing. Dendro, look at this! Coded with his unfailing, terrible timing, sauntered over from across the yard. I never saw anything like it. This red-seeded Juniperus virginiana is growing fast, despite this killer drought. 
The twig extension from all four quadrants is huge. This drought-resistant species is on the drier part of the yard, but its foliage is soft and lush. He eyed the two oaks. As for these poor guys, years of drought seem to have taken their toll. A specific epithet, palustris, indicates an origin in, and preference for, swampy habitats. This is the right tree in the wrong place. Leaf discoloration is often caused by drought, though sucking insects or early autumn coloration due to some other stressor may also be at work. We'll consider those observations and other information over lunch, I promised, setting my pH meter aside on the yielding bed of needles under the red cedar, and sounding a buttress root with my rubber mallet. I turned my attention to Rebecca. Irrigation during dry periods early in the growing season can help keep oak leaves green, and other treatments can address the symptoms we are sensing. As for the mystery of the lush juniperus, there may also be a very direct route to a very surprising solution. But my last questions are about selecting the replacement oak, Rebecca said. I want to be sure it won't get the same disease. Also, one reference says to give the roots the most volume possible, which makes sense to me, but the directions from the garden center say that the hole should be no deeper than the distance from the flare to the bottom of the root ball and the side should be sloped to train roots upward. What do you think is the best way? The soil probe barely broke the surface of the softest-looking sites in the desired planting location. I shook my aching arms and saw Kodit rub his belly. The best way for us right now is down the road to lunch, where we'll continue our quest for solutions to these answers. Kodit, riddle me this. When is seven an unlucky number for an oak tree? Coded slurped his milkshake as he closed the soil manual. So the number 7 is unlucky for oaks because a pH reading above 7.0 means the soil is considered alkaline, right? Most oaks like their soil at at least 5 times more acidic, below 6.5 for better uptake of minerals, but how can we tell which mineral is most lacking? By observing symptoms, I slid the leaf toward him. Deficiencies of calcium or manganese or iron cause similar symptoms, but at different times and on different sites. Manganese deficiency appears first on older leaves, while calcium deficiency occurs only on acid soils, where iron deficiency is unlikely. I paid the bill and we headed for the pickup truck. And as you know, it's too early for sucking insects or drought or seasonal changes to cause any discoloration. Okay, got it. Kodit nodded as he cranked the engine. Plus, I figured out that it's too early for sucking insects or drought or seasonal changes to cause any discoloration. Duh. I finished writing specifications and drew long curling doodles down the side of the clipboard as Kodit drove back and eased down into the driveway. Rebecca met us on the dusty stubble that once was her lawn. So, have you found the answer to my trees? Persistent questions? And what were we feeling for when we squeezed the leaves? There are two types of photosynthetic cells in the mesophyll. The middle layers of the leaf, I began. Most food production takes place in elongated palisade cells. These firm cylinders nestle among more elastic spongy cells. 
In the snug, moist, moving interfaces, carbon dioxide enters with photosynthesis, and oxygen releases during respiration. In and out. In and out. Rebecca's eyes smoldered. It was hard for me to get back on track. The leaves felt thin and dry and hot. Those cylinders were not nestling because they lacked chlorophyll, and no wonder my pH meter registered an average of 7.2. Limestone is the parent material, as we know from the limestone cave nearby. So, high alkalinity is no surprise. Chlorosis, abnormal yellowing due to iron deficiency, is a common problem of pin oak. They need ferrous iron, with two electrons lacking in the outer shell and carrying a plus two charge. Alkaline soils release another electron, so the molecule carries a plus three charge, more ionized, so to speak. This ferric iron is static, unavailable to pin oak roots. Bur oaks, Quercus macrocarpa, tolerate al alkaline soil. Swamp oak, Quercus bicolor, has been reported tolerant, but... But, better forget the bicolor then. Hm. This place is the opposite of a swamp, coated impetuously warned. A swamp by any other name might smell the same, but even scientific names can mislead. I cautioned in reply. Quercus palustris, this pin oak, may have evolved in wet areas, but does not need wet feet. Like American elm and willow oak, it does well in urban areas because it tolerates low soil oxygen levels. Please take the shovel and wheelbarrow and harvest some feeder roots from the other side of that stump. I turned to Rebecca. For your mildly affected tree, chlorosis can be treated by watering chelated ferrous iron into the holes that can be blown or punched under a drip line and in adjacent rooting areas. Even though the tree is dead, the roots that coat it is harvesting should contain propagules of ectomycorrhizal microbes attached to roots. Ectomycorrhizae chelate iron for plants by producing siderospores, Greek for iron carriers. This soil modification and fertilization, based on our new ANSI A300 Part 2, should green the tree up by autumn. I handed her the spec sheets with a wink. I will have that done to this oak as soon as my arborist can schedule it, Rebecca said. Now, what can we do with the sicker oak? The same, plus biannual systemic applications, might help bring this one back. Some careful restoration pruning will also be needed. I'll write up some specifications for you, based on the industry's pruning standards. The section on pruning outlines a way to restore beauty over time. Kodit returned with the wheelbarrow, and I eyeballed the roots with the hand lens. These seem alive with microbes. Great. Now, let's walk down the hill and see the source of the red cedar's vitality and its instruction to us on proper planting methods. Rebecca led us into the cave where we navigated a dry route along an underground stream. My helmet light swung around as we turned a corner, illuminating an eerie but amazing sight. Two roots descended through the top of the cave and formed buttresses above the level of the water. Kodit's jaw dropped. I sloshed my way to the roots, peeled back some of the bark with my thumbnail, and took a whiff. Yep, that's red cedar. Branches and roots and moth-repelling potpourri. It all has that same smell. This phenomenon demonstrates that roots grow wherever their needs, primarily oxygen and water, are met. Trees old and new need large pores for water and small pores for air. Trunk flares stay visible at grade, so the soil beneath the stem should be firm. The outer soil should be prepared deep and wide. These roots grew 40 feet down. Sloping the sides of a hole might set trees up to fail especially species that tend to form taproots or sinker roots. 
Pin and other red oak roots naturally grow downward, forming root systems that are shaped like hearts. Rebecca grasped my hand, gratefully. We'll break up the soil and mend it, with more of what roots need. We'll also follow your other specifications, and expect a miracle. Iron is catalyzed when it is less ionized. More chlorophyll is made, which means more shade and sweetness in the air. We could check their progress during our bat survey later this summer. Some day at sunset, I hinted as I stepped into the pickup. The electricity might be more active than static. Miracles could happen. My trees will respond to your kind attentions. Healthy trees and associates will make summer evenings very pleasurable indeed. Until then, take care. Rebecca leaned forward and closed the door. Slowly, I sensed the click. Coda chuckled as we drove away. Hey, Dendro, I don't want to come down with uh, chlorosis, so should I use deionized water to make tea from now on? We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ArborPod Detective Dendro series. You can earn CEUs for these podcasts. Just log in at the ISA store, click on online CEU quizzes, and find the Detective Dendro quizzes. Stay tuned for the next ones. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. <laughs>